Oi, oi, cockers here. First of all, thank you so much to all your comments and questions we'll come to in a minute. Um, the last podcast and certainly the video I've done to, uh, for, for, you know, for leaving Griffin Park, freaking amazing. Um, let's just, just address some questions to start with. First of all, to my mate Sean Sweeney out in America, asking me a weird question. What was the best wedding I've ever been to? Well, obviously, mate, it was yours in New York. Uh, very opulent, very stylish. Um, yeah, so that it, your wedding, mate, your own wedding was the best wedding I went to. Secondly, to uh, Gary True, who's asking me about the best players I played with at St Albans. For, I've got two, really. First of all was Clarkey, Steve Clark, centre-forward, legend goal scorer. Reason for that was we seemed to be on the same page as a midfield player. When you're putting balls through or free kick delivery, anything like that, he seemed to always be on the end of it. So we had this kind of uh, telepathic communication, which was cool. And then a friend of mine, Martin Duffield, who was at Q- uh, started off at Tottenham, but ended up at QPR. We played together at St Albans. And as a fellow midfield player, centre mid, seemed to complement my style of play uh, as much as anything else. And again, terrific ability um, and a hard player, but a, but a talented footballer. So we seemed to, for me, playing with him always give me a sense of security that he was, was in the team. So I, opens up, I hope that answers the question. Um, thank you to Mark Turner, ex-Brentford and Chertsey. Lovely messages. Uh, Mark Scotchford, a firefighter friend. Yes, mate, it would be great to meet up again after lockdown and, and much love to your family. And then if I can just rattle through so many people go with it here we go we are mike shale john hurd or the brentford legend nigel temperman kevin fogden sat thank you mate the the kids my girls karate teacher or ex-karate teacher thanks for your message mate natalie strud with kevin fogden brian moriarty brian bassom leighton buzz wallace lewis adriano nigel hales griff james Brentford in colour, Neil Goddard, Stuart Hatcher, Joel Beckman, Jim Levac, Wilfred at home and besotted Brentford. You're amazing. Thanks for all your great comments. And now on to the, what is it, the fifth, I think, the fifth podcast. My first guest, a mate, a mate of mine for 30 plus years, he is... Ted the teacher, can he spell it? Ted the teacher, yes, IT. Here he is. Okay, so the point of me starting the, the podcast in the beginning, obviously, we're all on lockdown, so everyone's a bit bored, but also to do something a little bit different to give everyone everyone a true perspective of, uh, you know, the real crux of football and what it was like through injuries and hardship and stuff like that. And now what would be really great is to catch up with people that lived through that era. You know, they experienced it from a fan's view, whereas I was a player at the time, so you get a distorted view. So now back over to Ted and, and me first question, mate, really. So if we if we go back to the beginning... I mean, we're going to learn a lot about each other, I would imagine, in the next hour or so. But just tell me, really, uh, was, was you a South London boy, born and bred? 
Yeah, I was. And it, to be fair, a lot of people have always said to me, how comes you ended up a Spurs supporter? But my old man, there was, because of, like, family deaths and keeping the family together, it was really strange. Like, my granddad and his brother were married to two sisters. One of the granddads died. One of the sisters died. So to keep the family together, the others remarried. It was a strange <laughs> sort of things that people used to do years ago. And so, like, I had, like, 14 uncles. I mean, it was, like, really weird because I had, like, two un Uncle Dennis's, two Uncle George's, two Uncle Jack's because we didn't go too clever for changing names in those days. Yeah. And strangely enough, they decided that they would split into half of them were Spurs supporters and half of them were Arsenal supporters. And lucky enough, my old man fell into the Spurs supporters category. So you were saying about the names with that, with that many uncles, there must have been a, a few uncle uncle touch buns as well, yeah. <laughs> now, why would you say that? Man? <laughs> so really interesting. So so can you tell me? Can you kind of reminisce a little bit, mate, on your first? Can you obviously you can remember? Tell me about your first game that you went to Spurs or your first visit to White Hart Lane. Tell me a little bit about that. If I remember rightly, the first game was 1967 against Leicester. I'm sure, if memory serves, I think we won 2-1, and I think both Greaves and Gilzine scored. And right. You talk about like kids of that time. I wasn't quite at the era like my older brother was, where he used to be passed over the heads of the crowd down to the front. <laughs> but soon I used to take like a wooden stool and then and like jump up and sit on the back of the stanchion like with me dad standing between me like so I was sort of virtually on his shoulders but resting on the stanchion so I didn't cripple his back during the game. What was your first real memory of seeing the stadium and what you felt or? I think the whole match day experience for me used to be like having like my mum cooking me and my dad hamburgers like literally beef burgers nothing else no sort of onions or anything every week it was hamburgers and that was like sort of gourmet cooking for me you, you poor kid poor kid <laughs> we used to get a train from Liverpool Street station so, right so we used to go to White Hart Lane and all I always remember is like the first thing I'd ever really want was like grabbing, you know, had to get the match program because that was a thing that he was going to, was going to read a bit before the game, read a little bit at half time and read the rest on the train, you know, because they used to religiously read it from cover to cover. Right. And to be fair, that's how I first knew about you because at that stage and as I grew up before I got to a point where programs were just sort of like <laughs> volumes of nothingness in the early days and in the seventies, late sixties, early seventies, even into the early eighties, they was they was everything about the game. Yeah. And and so you used to devour them. But I'd be in the ground and then it'd be the peanut seller. Always remember the peanuts. <laughs> peanuts uh, Yeah. I mean, we never had hot dog or hamburger outside because my old man was just like, There's no they're poison. It used to be the old boiled water so they pull it out of the sort of hot, <laughs> not even boiled water and my old man was just point he was going hey you get botulism if you had that son he would never let me have one so that was never a no-no but we used to get in the ground and it was just a mass of monkey nuts the geezer used to be walking around with this great big like potato sack full of monkey nuts <laughs> and like but they I don't know it was just what, what made people buy monkey nuts at football <laughs> the terrace was just a little full of like monkey nuts that is a strange thing isn't it strange and then obviously like the half time scores of geezer in the white 
like jacket used to run around putting the half-time scores out at the end of half-time. It, but it obviously didn't. It wasn't that advanced that you had names. In the programme, you had which other games and had a letter corresponding to them. So it was like ABC, A yeah, was yeah. like Everton against West Ham. And it was like, and you had to try and work out nine times out of ten, they never got the right, right score anyway. Oh. I don't know if you remember, but in those days, there used to be two evening newspapers, right, the yeah. Evening Standard, and there used to be a late edition of the Evening News, which was always how they managed to do it, especially without, you know, it was literally the old printing ways um, available at Liverpool Street Station when we got back. And the, right. the thing that I always remember, which used to make me laugh, was obviously they must have done it so quick, there was no sort of proofreading or checking. So you had crazy things like you'd be in the middle of a match report and something you'd have just a string of X's and Z's and whatever, or <laughs> it'd be like West Ham one, Everton ninety six thousand. It was like, <laughs> it was it was it was the funniest thing ever. Like or in a, literally in the middle of a sentence, they just obviously didn't have enough time and it'd just be loads and loads of letters. So wow. it'd be telling you about then like Alfie Khan, he did a great big dribble, passed it through to, and then it'd be like, and it would finish, and the report wouldn't finish, but it was obviously like, but it was it was worth like buying just for the sort of the comedy value of it. Oh, and I just always remember that. The thing was that was the worst thing for me as a kid was my old man would never stay to the end of a game. Like we had, because there was a train five minutes after the final whistle and he didn't want to get caught in a crowd so we always left eight minutes before the final whistle Fucking and hell. so there were so many games and I remember a game and I think it, it might have even been in our cut run but we played Swindon and we was one nil down to Swindon and I remember it was about eight minutes left and we left and as we was walking down to Northumberland Park just got by that primary school on the left I can't remember what it's called the one yeah. that backs onto the score on the old East stand. Yeah. Got there, heard the massive roar, equaliser. Oh, shit. Got halfway down, nearly to the like the rail crossing to get to the station itself, another roar. So, and that was just, I mean, that was typical of like, it was in the cup, one nil down, and we missed both the goals. And obviously, in those days, there was no team, especially not for Spurs, Swindon. And uh, yeah, so, and that was that was always my memory of football. Yeah. I remember when our other mate, Al, when he started coming, he used to drive him mad. Like, he was like, what do you mean we're not standing at the end of the game? But it was just, <laughs> that was football with my old man. So it's a good job of going the opera or something, mate. You were in like, <laughs> <laughs> what happened, Dad? What happened in the end? <laughs> <laughs> so, so leading on to that, the relationship with your dad, was it, was it based on football? Was that the closest you was with your dad, do you think? Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. And it and it was crazy because unlike your old man, my he had no interest in pushing me for football. And he was a fair footballer himself. He played he played for London Transport when they was like a massive team, like a national play and he played for Dully Jamlet. Right. Right. You know? And it was just but he never he never cared for it and he never pushed either me or my brother. But it was the thing that connected me and my old man more than anything else. And was that was that every week, mate? Was that a weekly? Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Was, was that because home and away? Was, you, know, you know, we couldn't afford to travel to like the away games. But what we used to do, like what people did, when Spurs weren't at home, we used to go to another London game. So yeah. I went, we went to QBR, we go to Charlton, we go to West Ham. You know, right. we'd even occasionally venture to like, the 
birth of Highbury with like the other uncles to watch Arsenal playing at home. Never enjoyed that very much. I don't like that. And tell, tell, try to explain to everyone about kind of what it was like back in the day because, uh, you know, a lot of my, you know, viewers are of a younger age and stuff like that and they hear from me. But try to explain from a supporter's view kind of the, the, the underlying violence sometimes at a game, even travelling to games or certainly, you know, walking to a game. And once you got in the stadium, the, the, the pre and post atmosphere of the stadium, what it was like. Yeah. I mean, obviously, being with my old man, I was never like involved with the games. But it, it was, it was, if you like, to, to a certain degree, it was part of the pre-match entertainment. Whenever, <laughs> if we used to go to Chelsea, you knew, and you like, even though you didn't sort of mix with the ball, you knew that the Spurs group would try and get in, and they would try and rush the shed. And it was like a little game of sort of military, like. I don't know, I can't even compare it to something, but you'd see it and you'd, you'd stand there at the other end of the ground and you'd see a little pocket of supporters and, and they'd build up and they'd build up. And at a certain point, someone would say something and they'd rush in. And it, it depended, every every time it was different. Sometimes they took half the shed end or you'd see them go, go in mid on and they'd be surrounded and be like battered by like the Chelsea and then there'd be a little ring of sort of policemen around them. And it'd be the same at Arsenal. It'd be taking the North Bank. And it was like... And sometimes there was masses of them managed to get in. Sometimes it was only a little group. And the mentality... I can't imagine what it must have felt like to be a little group <laughs> running into a big group of a, like a couple of thousand supporters yeah. and like trying to do it. But it was it was just it. It was the same at West Ham. You know, walking to the ground... I remember the, the probably the worst I ever experienced at Spurs was walking to... The game, the, I think it was season 1976-1977, the year before we were actually relegated. The year before we was a poor team as well. And we needed to win our last two home games. And it was it was against Chelsea was the first game and Leeds was the second game. And Chelsea was on the Saturday. And the, it was just everywhere. Every, every, as soon as we got off the train, it was just people just larping each other. It was like little groups fighting all over the place. <laughs> When you got into the ground, it was on the pitch. People invaded the pitch and they were fighting. And it was just, I just remember it being such a horrible atmosphere. Right. And yeah, we won 2-0. And eventually that consigned Chelsea to being relegated, you know. And then we had to do the same again against Leeds in midweek. And I always remember that's a, where Alfie Conn become one of my first sort of legends. He's always been one of my greatest players. Where he sat on the ball against Billy Bremner, and right. if people of an older generation remember Billy Bremner as being one of the hard men of football, and Alfie Conn just took the piss out of him, and he took the piss out of him so much at one point he just sat on the ball, and like I remember Bremner going mad and all, like, you know, and it just it elevated Conn's status with us as just like he was such a cult hero for us down at time. So that mate, that never happened in today's football, would it? Eh? No, no, not at all. You can't imagine. You know, you imagine perhaps Cantona or someone, or Paolo Di Canio or someone being the last sort of person who ever had the guts to do. So that, that leads us on to a really good point, mate, because obviously you've been a Spurs season ticket holder for donkey's years, and, and by the same token, you and Luke, your son, go to the games at, at the new lane, at the new stadium. So a really good question I think that people would like to know is, what, what do you think the difference are between the fans of the bygone and kind of fans now? Do you, have you noticed a difference or not? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, yeah, I think, obviously, been going for over 50-odd years. I mean, what am I going to say? I've been going for sort of 51 years to football. So it's 
it's the sort of thing that at the time it, it was tribal but it was just everyone came from the same sort of really socio-economic background I don't think I don't think I ever sat at Spurs until you know my old man refused to even ever sit down but I think the one time we ever did sit down and I always remember it a copper stopped us on the way to the ground and he went, are you on your own? And he spoke to me first. And I, I could have only been nine. And like, and like, my old man stepped in and was like getting all sort of protected. He's going, he's with me, he's with me. He's, he's all right, he's all right. The went, no, no. He went, I've got to cut the tickets for seats. He went, obviously, I can't use them. He went, can you use them? And that was the only time I ever sat down with my old man in the 30-odd years that he came like wow. football with me. Wow. You know? And he went through, until the sort of Premier League come in, you never see a, a female at a football match. Yeah. And and I think I think when we had to go to Wembley a couple of years ago for those two years, I think me and Luke a couple of times, as you'd mentioned me some, we went to and a couple of times we obviously we had our season tickets, but like the Champions League games and other cup games weren't in, included. And so sometimes we just tried different seats because we thought we tried to choose when we chose our seats at Wembley, we tried to choose where people would be singing, but typically us, we got the wrong area. So <laughs> like in the, like the Champions League games, we tried a few different places and it was just, and it was like, it was, like, it was just people like from different countries. And it was, to them, it was just, and you, they traveled over, they were staying for like a fortnight just to come and watch a game of football, but they right. had no real connection to that football. They were cheering both teams. Well, I remember we played when we lost four to Barcelona, and we were sitting there watching it. And this geezer was cheering both the Spurs and the Barcelona guys. <laughs> What's going on here? Are you serious, mate? And he couldn't quite comprehend. And I was like, mate, please stop cheering the Barcelona guys because you're really pissing me off. And, and he was like, yes, but they agree. Goals. Come on, you, <laughs> come on, you Barca hot Spurs. <laughs> I don't give a fuck if it's a great goal, mate. Oi, listen, but don't you think that's the same as the joining of the scarves now? You know, like, it's... Oh, yeah, I mean, that is... We just, I mean, like... Can you imagine going to North London derby with half and half scarf on it? No, I can't. Late 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it it could have been the Tommy Cooper sketch. You know, he turns from side to side. (laughs) Like, if you go near the Arsenal supporters, you pull the red half out and vice versa. I mean, what I'm getting about now, mate, is... they don't have the silk scarves anymore. I mean, that was oh. what I used to wear. I used to wear, originally, was the silk scarf tied around me wrist with the old, like, dangly bits at the end. That was oh. like... Oh, no, you do. That was it. I mean, there was no replica kits <laughs> in those days. You do love a bit of silk, first... mate, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first replica kit, inverted commas, that I ever had. My mum got a white T-shirt and she, like, cut out a cockerel from a blue bit of material <laughs> and sewed it on. Oh, mate, I loved it. It was like, you know, that was, I was running up and down until one day I went to look for it and my sister had tie-dyed it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> still wore it, though, mate. But I, just, did, like, mate, I think yeah. I was ahead of me time with the coloured yeah. kits. Are you, but, are, you like, sure, are you sure it was a cockerel? <laughs> <laughs> it was a picture from the local chicken coop. So what would you say then? I know you I know we all talk in Halcyon days, it's the same as a footballer, isn't it? You know, we talk about the good old days and all that. So nowadays with all the technology and VAR and and, and as you say, people travelling 
from halfway around the world to to watch a game of football. What what pleasure do you take now compared to back in the day? I think I do like the fact that we know the players more than we ever did. You know, if you think back to those days, I never knew nothing. Right? You watched them every week, and you you like you cheered for them, and you you had the occasional poster on your wall. But apart from that, you didn't know their lives, mm. you didn't know their training schedules, and and you know now we follow everyone on Instagram. I follow you know I follow Harry Kane and Delhi and Sonny on Instagram, and you you see their lives. I'm not saying everything about that is great. I do like the fact nowadays that we know so much more about it. There's so many different camera angles. So watching football outside of the ground is is a far better experience. I mean, you remember you know yourself in the old days, you used to pray that, you know, if you'd won, you'd be one of the three games on match of the day or on the big match. But yeah. and even and it was so exciting if you were. And but you'd get like twenty minutes, you know. Yeah. And it's so many games that you missed and so many great goals probably people missed and because of no coverage as such. Not that we ever worried about it at a time. So there's there's that aspect of it that, you know, and I think, you know, I enjoy watching football from around the world now. You know, I still get so much pleasure out of football. Nothing gives me more pleasure than watching Spurs. Yeah. But it's a different type now. It's a different sort of, it's a, it's a far more... Well, it's a, I don't know, it becomes a bit of a science now. We all talk about, you know, false nines and stuff like that. I talk about that with my kids in my class. They'll go, oh, yeah, Mr. Brett, well, you don't know anything and you don't know the best false nine is. And, like, and they're going, yeah. We, and they talk about the Real Madrid lineup. And I was going, like, you've never been to a game. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I think the thing that cracks me up now as a teacher is no one plays football anymore at primary school. Or when they do play, they think they're playing FIFA. They act like they're playing a game of FIFA. Yeah. And they, they roll about. Or they, it's all about their goal celebration. It's like none of them know play football for the enjoyment of football. It's like they play to copy what they see either on the telly or what they play in FIFA. Yeah. And you, you know yourself, you see something when you had the pleasurable experience of teaching, like coaching some of my, my boys last year. Yeah. You know, like, it's just it's, it's crazy. That's yeah. that's the thing that I don't like about modern football is it stops kids playing football. Yeah, that's a really good point, mate. As it goes, so leading on to VAR, mate, what's your what's your opinion? I don't know. I mean, I, to be brutally honest, I thought it was going to be good. You know, I mean, there's time. I mean, obviously, last year I was watching it back again the other day on BT Sport. They replayed like both the Man City quarterfinals and the Ajax quarterfinals. You know, the Man City, especially with the VAR for that, you know, the away league with sort of your Entis goal and <laughs> Sterling's disallowed goal. I can't even, you know, at the time it was just, I remember the, the depth of despair I felt when Sterling scored. And then even though it was turned over, it took so long. And it, yes, I felt joy that it got turned over, but there was... There was something about it that was just wrong on all levels for everyone, you know. And as much as it, it went our way that day, it, and not saying it didn't feel right, and I couldn't care less. Yeah, we won, and that was all I cared for. But there was there's something lost. There's definitely something lost. And and I think, you know, this season before before it collapsed, you know, there was so many strange goals and like. The, the actual dividing line when there's someone's airy moustache that makes them off style, that's, that's, that's got to be wrong on all levels. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I've mean, i got, you know, teaching the younger kids and that, 
I hear all those things. Oh, he, his shoelace was offside and his knee and stuff like that. But a lot of people aren't recognising the human element to it all. So the human element of a player scoring and it being taken away, the human element of a, oh, a fan yeah. supporting. I mean, it's it's terrible, isn't it, when you think about it? You know, not getting decisions. There's, there's a clear line. Listen, if the, the, the advantage should always be with the attacker. And if he's like a half a boot in front, then it's a freaking goal. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 gone too it's gone too much the other way. I've always said it. The uh, the nerds are taking over, mate. And that's you know that's 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 the uh, that's the finality of it of all this. It's getting to that point where I find myself every time we score, not really losing it. I'm looking at the linesman. I'm looking at the ref. I'm I'm trying to take the whole picture in and think. You know, where did he come from? That was a corner. Did you know? Was there was there yeah. a challenge going in? You know, because they review every single goal, and oh, no. it's it's hard unless you know unless it's a goal like Sonny scored against Burnley this year, where he dribbled half the length of the field, and you think, well, there's no way he could be offside. You know, <laughs> like nothing ever happened. He built it up himself. There was no passing with anyone, and like so, you could celebrate without real fear of. But then you think, oh, was there an handball ten minutes before, and the play hadn't stopped? And I can't remember what game that happened in. I can't remember what game, but that happened once, like, and it's happened once to us this season, where it went on so long, and then there was a handball, and it must have been—I think it, they timed it something like three and a half minutes because there hadn't been a break in play. But there was a handball, and it was like that's just nuts. That's nuts. That is, is that's really bad. So, so, so a few off the cuff questions now. So, so for example, doesn't have to be a Spurs player. Who, who do you? The, the greatest player you've ever seen live. So you was at the game. I don't know. Probably not in his prime, but I mean, one of my early idols was Johan Cruyff. Yeah. And I remember seeing him at Spurs. Um, actually, not when he was at Ajax, but when when he fell out with Ajax and then went to Feyenoord, and we played him. Odell had one of his games and like absolutely destroyed him. But there was still he still had some touches and and it just. You know, I loved every minute of seeing him. I loved every minute as as much as like whoever watching Maradona play in our D's testimonial to see him yep. pull on a, a like Spurs shirt. But that was just an incredible feeling because I yeah I remember the first time I saw Maradona was in nineteen seventy seven when yeah. they hit for an England England Argentina at Wembley. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. And and I, I it was just. Right. I didn't realise he was going to be as big as he got, but you could tell there was just something really special about him. Yeah. But even then, like, you know, I can't even remember the England team of this 1977. It was probably the Dave Watsons and Jerry's and Phil Nils, I'm sure. Phil he twisted his blood, didn't we, he? Could, we could do a whole podcast on what, <laughs> how much that boy don't deserve Phil, any of Phil, his medals. Phil Neil, he had his blood twisted, didn't he, Phil Neil? Yes, boss, yes, boss. <laughs> but you know, obviously, like Oddle was probably the, the greatest ever Spurs player I ever saw with what he could do with a football. You know, I know we sort of joke about way ahead of his time, but I truly believe Hoddle could play in any era. You 100%. know, and we all know that England should have built a team around him. Yeah, all right. and if but that's you know, and if he'd have been around now, England would have built a team around him. So, and I, you know, I can, there's so many goals and games and everything that Oddle played, you know, and obviously for you, I knew you before I knew you, I knew you because I used to devour the program. I used to look at all the reserves, 
And <laughs> I know was I always remember I was gutted last year when I was lucky enough to be best man at your wedding. I was absolutely <laughs> searching for this little pen picture they always used to use of you in the reserves when you'd had a game or score with your two sausage rolls on your head for your haircut. <laughs> and I was absolutely gutted. I couldn't show that at the, at the wedding. I'm fucking uh, well glad, yeah, mate. I remember you. Because <laughs> obviously, like, I remember the first time we ever met our mate Tony when he said to me, like, oh, you're going to come to a party. And he said, like, he said, do you remember a guy who used to play the Spurs called Alan Cockrum? And, and I instantly, I knew you, you know, and it was, oh, I don't know, this was what, night, the late 80s when we first met. So, you know, I'd, and you hadn't played for Spurs, you'd left Spurs. What year did you leave Spurs? 84, 85. Yeah, so, so you'd been gone four or five years. Yeah. And yet I still remembered you, you know, purely and simply from like my knowledge of reading the, the like the, the program from cover to cover and knowing plenty of the reserve team players as well. You know, I saw I saw your game against Watford. My final two questions, mate. First of all, I'd like to thank you. Love you to pieces um, being my first guest on here. But I'm all my guests, I'm going to do a manly tear moment. <laughs> <laughs> Where and does the that come from, mate? Man, uh, who knows? The Manly Tear moment, Can I need you to recollect a game, a moment, or a piece of genius by anybody that physically made you cry or you just lost the plot somehow along the line? Give, give me a moment, mate. I, I don't know. I think there's, there's two, and I think you're probably going to know one of them. Yeah, my, like one... my debut. <laughs> yeah, that was probably yeah. yeah, it was crying, but certainly <laughs> only crying because Oddle McNabb, the uh, Paramount weren't playing that day, whatever it was. <laughs> Wanker. But um, I think one was definitely Ricky's goal in the replay. And I always remember there was me, my old man, an hour at a game. And, you know, my, my old man was sort of, as much as he loved Tottenham, he never really got emotional in his elder years with them. And we were standing we were standing behind the goal where Ricky scored the third goal. And as it hit the back of the net, me and Al just, we just lost it. We just went. And the, obviously we were standing, the crowd were just... And I remember at the when we finally stopped jigging and dancing and screaming and shouting, we was about 200 yards away from me. Oh man, we were still standing in the same place. It took us about 10 minutes to actually find and get back to locate that's, that's where cause we he was leaving. That's because he was leaving to get the train. <laughs> and he was just still standing there. And like, me and Al, we was crying our eyes out. It was just, it, it carried us. I don't, I don't even remember how, I don't remember how much longer there was at a game or anything. But that was that was one that was pure and utter pleasure. Okay, and to end, mate, because you've been you've been uh, freaking amazing. You haven't sworn. I thought we'd have to bleep a few of the words out, but we haven't. Now, as you know, Ted is a teacher, teacher Ted, and he corrects me on my <laughs> grammar and smelling. Now, what I want you to put out there, mate, is one of your favourite words uh, that's not used on a daily basis. I want you to. Obviously, say the word, spell the word, and tell us the meaning of the word. So, <laughs> so off you go, mate. <laughs> That's the most ridiculous question. I love it. I love it. Don't worry. We can cut, we can cut your embarrassing pauses out of it. <laughs> smell, the, smell the coffee, drink the coffee, drink the coffee. <laughs> 
I want a word, the meaning, and the spelling. Jesus. J E. My it's got to be justice, mate. Like, oh. Justice. <laughs> yeah, what as in fashionu? <laughs> <laughs> no, as it related to your very good, as it related to your very good self, because you was always sitting on the bench, mate. And there you go. He always comes back to that, doesn't he? Me and Phil older. Me and Phil older. Record appearances on the bench. Thanks ever so much. And have you got? A final word for all the football fans out there in this time of uh, in this time of need. Um, I think uh, we all miss it, but I think the fact of the matter is there's very few things. I know the old like Bill Shankly quote about life and football, but you know football ain't important compared to what's going on. And once everything's back to normal, football will be back, and we'll be back in love with it like we always have been. All right, mate. Yeah, I only wanted a couple of words there, but as usual, <laughs> as usual, you you got your muttley laughing, droning yeah, on. Listen, and... mate. This is this is my fifteen minutes of fame. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lap it. Fifteen up, minutes. We've done two fucking hours. I've got to cut this to twenty minutes. It's a new career <laughs> I can see from Seriously, I, I went away and done the washing up at one point when he was going on about you and your old man. <laughs> All oh, right, mate. Dear. Listen, I love you. Oh, and I'll yeah, speak to you soon. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you.